Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 235. That you can get pretty lucky if you're prepared for the opportunities that occur. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Doug Garrison. Doug, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Hey, you know, Mark, I'm going to go unbuckle today. I'm going to pretend that uh, I'm a kid back in my dad's 1966 uh, Chevrolet Impala. All right. That big vinyl bench seat in the back uh, with lots of armor all sprayed on it. So as you drive around the twisty turns of this interview, I'll probably slide back and forth in the seat a little bit. I'll do the best I can to hang on. I'll be very careful, I promise. Doug Garrison is an automotive artist whose passion for motorsports, and especially the Indianapolis 500, has influenced his dynamic paintings. He grew up in Indianapolis and for years he owned his own design firm specializing in corporate identity and branding. And today, Doug spends his time painting and capturing the dynamic speed and color of racing. His style captures the savage passion of the sport and he takes it to a unique perspective and dynamic. Even in the way he creates his pieces, they're built around speed and innovation. And we'll learn a little bit about that in a minute. Doug, I've told our listeners a little about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your career and your passion for automobiles and art? Yeah, sure, Mark. You know, there are lots of great racing cities around the world, but I really always felt very, very lucky to grow up in Indianapolis. I felt it was the coolest place in the world. Every year for the whole month of May, the whole town would stop. Everybody was in such a great mood the entire month. (laughs) Not only had winter gone away and, and spring was here, but, boy, the cars were racing at the, at the track. And to be in that environment as a kid, there was no way you could not become a, a race fan. Very cool. Um, I remember um, I, around 1970 or so, I, I was maybe 9 or 10 years old, my, uh, my dad brought home some art prints by a local artist named Ron Burton. Now, these art prints were like 8 by 10 or 8.5 by 11. They were very simple, but they were very... Uh, photorealistic that they showed a single car coming through the first turn at Indianapolis. And the weird thing was I knew right then that's what I wanted to do when wow. I, <laughs> and uh, it was, his, the artist's name was Ron Burton and he's still 
does a lot of stuff in in town and and uh, has a lot of uh, paintings in the uh, in, in the Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway Museum. But uh-huh. but to see those at a young age, I just thought that's the coolest thing in the world. Very neat. And, and I guess the, the other thing is, if when I thought about that, I just thought not only did I want to do it for a living or not for a living, just 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 somehow I, I had no idea how to turn it into a living. But I just wanted people to feel the same way about my artwork that I felt about that art. Oh, sure. Yeah. How, how fun to uncover a passion at such an early age. That's really, really, really neat. And you had a graphic design studio for a while before you started painting full time. Is that right? That's correct. Um, the funny thing about being a, you know, an artist is at the time I had really no idea about how to become an artist, uh, you know, a real artist, someone that actually, you know, could create artwork of race cars. So, so what I did I, it was obviously just a hobby, but as as an artist, though, the one thing that I could understand and get my head wrapped around, as far as a career goes, was um, you know was advertising and, and and layout and design, and because I had seen Bewitched and I knew what what Darren did for a living. <laughs> I uh, always could never figure out why the hell didn't Darren just retire and tell his wife to just wiggle her nose and you know fill the bank account? What the hell was wrong with that guy? Exactly, exactly. So. <laughs> So, but but it, it back in those days, you know, design was, and this is the age, things have changed since then, but uh, in those days, creating a beautiful print ad was almost just as fun as creating a beautiful painting. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, and, and coming up with a perfect headline and, 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 and then marrying that with the, you know, with the great image and evocative copy was a passion of mine. So that's, that's where I gravitated uh, because, because that's basically a business that I could do. Obviously, had, I, I got married had uh, to, to a wonderful woman, had uh, two beautiful kids, you know, 30 years passed, and now I find myself <laughs> at a time when, and I'm watching the Indy 500 on TV, and I see the most unlikely incredible finish that uh, could possibly happen. A car is in the lead, it crashes in the final corner of the final lap, and then the most beautiful car I've ever seen comes through to win the race. And it was at that point I said, you know what, I've got to get back to painting mm-hmm. cars again. And, yeah. that's, and that's what happened. Oh, I love that. Love that story. Remember that race as well. That was exciting. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Doug, take the wheel. Well, I have, um, I have two, I guess, two things that I really, I guess, live by. Mm-hmm. But the first one is it, life is... Ten percent what happens, and then ninety percent how you react to. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the other one is um, something. The effect Johnny Rutherford used to say something like this: like that you can get pretty lucky if you're prepared for the opportunities that occur. Yes. So, so I try to do that. I try to be prepared. So when so when the opportunity comes up, I can get lucky, and, and it's always fun to get lucky. Yeah, you know, I always say about luck that saying that I learned years ago. It's when. Uh, opportunity and preparation collide into each other basically the same thing yeah Yeah, exactly the same thing that johnny said and so much of racing is about before the race starts all that preparation and the same with life and so forth so i love that are there any examples you can share of how those quotes have tied into your career as a automotive artist well yeah you know you face challenges in life and you face challenges in art when I was in the midst of my having my design firm, and um, I did throw my hat with one foray into the 
automotive illustration or automotive painting market. And I was able to get a hold of a really great guy that worked for General Motors named Gary Claudio, who uh, allowed me to do artwork of the uh, of the Corvette racing team. It was a C5R with, that Ron Fellows and Johnny O'Connell drove to like, I don't know, 10 or 11 straight wins. Well, by the way, uh, Johnny has been a guest here on Cars, yeah. So, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy. Very much so. Gary was really helpful to, you know, get me in touch with the team, which was Pratt and Miller. And I did this artwork. And uh, and then then I got the prints printed and, and brought them down to Sebring in March of that year, where the drivers were there and they signed the prints. And, and it was a really, really great experience. And we, and we sold a few, which, which, was, which was neat. And that was the good part. The bad yeah. part was it was like, okay, this is easy. I can do this again. And I just had a very, very hard time trying to get another person you know, in a, <laughs> you know, yeah. to, to help me get the next one off the ground. So sure. it became a struggle. It was very time-consuming. And, you know, again, kids raising volleyball games to go to, you know, bills sure. to pay. Uh, it was back to the, my nose to grindstone. So I just kind of let things sit, you know, for a while. And then all of a sudden, it's like your reaction to that is is let's not let that shut us down. Let's you know let's let's keep going. So even though it was it took some time, the passion never. Did. You know, it's funny because uh, when Johnny was on the show, that's one of the comments he made. Uh, advice he'd gotten when he was trying to be a race car driver or working through his ranks of becoming a race car driver is never give up. Just right. never, never give up because it's such a difficult profession. As is being an automotive artist. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? Tell me about that pivotal moment as you remember it when you really knew you were a car guy. I tell you, aside from just growing up in Indianapolis, the other really cool thing was is that my mom and my dad really liked uh, you know to go to to go to races. What we focused on every May was going to qualifications. Now in those days, that what we called pole day at Indy would draw like three hundred thousand. People. I mean, it was a huge event, yeah. unlike, unlike it is today, sadly. But in those days, it was a really, really big thing. So my mom would be up frying chicken, and my dad would, would actually, my dad is so funny because he wouldn't go buy bagged ice. We would have to go to this ice house a, a few miles from our house and buy a block of ice. Oh, my gosh. And, and, then, <laughs> and then chip it with, uh, with ice, ice picks. Yeah. Anyway, so we would chip these, uh, chip those big block of ice. We get the ice, you know, so, so we could, you know, turn our big cube into crushed ice. And, and we just had this huge feast and all this, you know, Coke and pop in the cooler and a few uh, fall staffs from my dad in there. But, but then, you know, and, and the cooler was huge. It was like, you know, one of those five foot long ones <laughs> before they had the 14 inch, you know, yeah. size on it. And uh, just go out there and, you know, you could sit anywhere you wanted to. And, and then also what was really fun is surely you've been to uh, Indianapolis Speedway. But yes. Uh-huh. Those that, that, that know the voice of Tom Carnegie. Yes. Uh, who was the PA announcer there, would just make everything seem just much more vivid than, and, and it was already pretty darn vivid, but I mean, when you crank in that and then you add Tom Garnett's voice over it, every new track record was an event that just made you want to jump out of your shoes. So that was really, really fun. And yeah. then we, we really couldn't afford to go to the race. We would skip the actual 500 because the tickets were kind of expensive. And then each summer, or, the, or actually the week after the 500, all the race drivers would go to Milwaukee and race on the mile track there at the State Fair Park. Mm-hmm. And we would always have a summer vacation up in Milwaukee for that weekend. In those days, again, I mean, there weren't big, huge transporters. The, the, the cars were actually were on open trailers. Oh, cool. So, I mean, you know, can you imagine, I mean, uh, you know, the Pinsky cars of today, you know, being on an open trailer, just going 
you know, on the, you know, you know through the rain. And just, oh, you know, yeah. Uh, just down the road. But so it was kind of fun. We would see them on the road. We'd pass them. We'd honk our horn at them and we'd wave and they'd be on the way. And, and, and watching uh, those races on the Milwaukee Mile were really, really fun. Ah, wonderful times. Fantastic. I love that. So, Doug, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a huge challenge or even a great failure that you face in your career. The most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that situation and what did you learn from it? Well, that's a great question, Mark. To get to that, I've got to tell you this first, and this kind of goes back to that um, that Indy race in 2011 when uh, Dan Weldon in the in the William Rask car uh, passed uh, uh, Hildebrand in, in that final corner, and I was so intrigued by by that and, and that beautiful livery on, on on Dan's car that I felt I had to capture it. So that was the impetus to kind of get back into the automotive art, mm-hmm. and I did that, and then. And then later in the year, there was the, the, obviously the tragedy that happened. And, and, and I had not done anything with the artwork. I mean, I just did it and I, I wasn't selling it or anything. Or I hadn't even, you know, began the, the business of, of selling, you know, my work. It was devastating. And, uh, but at the same time, as devastating as it was, there was a celebration that, that was kind of occurring as well of Dan's life and, and it's just, just, just fabulous personality and everything about it. So... I didn't want to hide that artwork. I wanted to show it to somebody. And about the same time, <laughs> I discovered Facebook and, and, and Twitter, mm-hmm. the social media. I mean, obviously, this is really simple stuff, but I was pretty – I'm as, about as technical as a sack of hair, so <laughs> a, a little behind the times. But I went ahead and, uh, and got a Twitter account, got a Facebook account, and, 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 and put this artwork on it. And I said what would really be kind of cool was I'm going to document the 2012 IndyCar season just, just for fun. Mm-hmm. And people just kind of found it, saw it, liked it, wanted it. And it was a situation where that particular artwork, I really didn't want to make any money selling. So I would give it, you know, if, you know, if somebody wanted it, I would, I would just give it to them. But that led to, you know, to other artwork and, and then print sales started to kind of happen. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, by the time Indy rolled around that year, a couple of people wanted originals done and things just kind of started to take off. And this was kind of cool. And I'm very, very excited about it. And things were moving along fine. My artwork was going fine. And uh, it was all very enjoyable until <laughs> until <laughs> until Thanksgiving <laughs> of that year. Uh, actually, it, it, actually, a year had passed. It was Thanksgiving in 2013, or just a couple of days before before that. I was in the hospital actually with a, with with pneumonia. Of all oh things. no! It's like, yeah, my God, how did this happen? But while I was in the hospital, something even weirder happened. Um, I got this pain in my in my left knee, and it just kind of came out of nowhere. And it was like, you know, it's just like that's kind of weird. And I'm moving it around. And I'm trying to get it to kind of quit hurting. And then it just kind of wouldn't quit hurt. It's just, you know, it kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And it was kind of like somebody hitting your knee with like a sledgehammer. I mean, wow. <laughs> where, it, that's where it ended up. I mean, it was like started off as discomfort, but then within a couple of hours, I mean, it, it, it became very, very intense and very excruciating. So <laughs> it was, it was weird to say the least. So I, I didn't know what was wrong. Long story short, it turned out, you know, after <laughs> after a while, I mean, after about three or four days, I went from being a normal person. To all of my joints, feeling like people were hitting them with the sledgehammer. Wow. So elbows, my shoulders, my hands, my both knees, hips, everything was just an incredible cacophony of uh, of pain. So I was out of commission, basically. I went from being a, a normal person to somebody who couldn't even walk, uh, or or you know, 
lift the covers off yourself in bed because he didn't have it. It was just too painful to do it. Wow. So anyway, I found out that it was uh, it was rheumatoid arthritis, and I got on some medicine. It takes took a while to work. Everything is much better now. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> but, gosh. Yeah. So that was a little bit weird, but 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 here's the, the point I wanted to make was that it's now harder to to control uh, the paintbrush or, or, or the digital paintbrush, whatever I'm using at the time, because my hands don't work the way they used to work. But what's cool is the artwork is better. I'm, I, I'm finally realizing the vision that I wanted to realize when I started. My artwork was a little too photorealistic in the beginning, and I've always wanted it to be a little more vibrant and motion-oriented. Yeah. And, and the fact that, that I can't make it photorealistic anymore has, has made it exactly the way I want it to be. You so. know, that's an awesome story, and I want to thank you for sharing a very personal story with us. What's really amazing about that is how that, and I won't call it a disability because that's really not what it is, but it certainly is nothing to uh, call minor with rheumatoid arthritis and what you have to deal with with that uh, painful disease. Uh, My mother has that and it's just terrible. But the fact that it enabled you to find a new style in your painting is absolutely amazing to me and incredible. And, And when our listeners have a chance to go and look at your artwork, they'll see the, the wonderful looseness and the, the feel of motion and speed that you put into your pieces. And uh, the way you had to get at that, though, that was an awful tough way to do it. <laughs> but very, very cool. Let's do this. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those aha moments in your artistic career. It's one of those times when the headlights come on and they kind of illuminate your way for a new idea or a direction. Can you share an aha like that with us? Yeah, I, I can. I, and, I, and I remember exactly when it happened. It was a few years ago, you know, about about that same time that I, I did that Weldon artwork, I just, you know, in 2012. And I was really, and, and was still in the midst of my graphic design business. And um, a friend of mine is a singer a baritone type guy and not a professional or anything, but just a regular you know, guy. And, 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 but, but every year he does a, a CD for his friends and family to give away at Christmas. And so he wanted a, a CD cover and, I, and he asked me if I would do it. And I did it. And so thank you. He said, hey, I'm going to be singing at this little restaurant in Daytona Beach. Um, why don't you come down and I'm, I'm singing with a friend of mine and, and, and we're going to be doing some songs and Broadway stuff. And, and, uh, and I, I thought, that, that, sounds, that sounds great. I'll, we'll be there. <laughs> we get there. And, and he starts singing, and he's, he's, and he's a good singer. It sounds great and everything. But this friend of his, this woman, starts singing. And it is like, I mean, like the finest wine you've ever opened. I mean, it's incredible. <laughs> it's, it's, it's stunning. It's stunning in every way possible. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, this restaurant is like, you know, 20 tables. I mean, it's tiny. And yeah. they're, you know, they're blowing it out in this thing. But I'm thinking to myself, what on earth is this woman doing in this restaurant on a Tuesday night? In Daytona Beach, Florida, why isn't she, you know, in New York City on, you know, on Broadway stage or, the, you know, someplace, an opera or whatever? Right. And I just had that, you know, I felt kind of goofy asking, so, well, you know, what are you doing here? And she said, you know, I just, I, I was a professional. Those days were then, this is now. And I just love, I just love to sing. And, and I sing where I'm able to sing. Mm-hmm. And that was my aha moment because it was like up until that point, I mean, I had the, you know, the whole, the whole Corvette print thing. And then it was a while before I was able to get back into it. And, and I couldn't find a way to get back into it. And, and when I, in fact, I was a little bit bitter because I thought, why can't I get back into it? Why doesn't somebody, I mean, this is very, very um, 
goofy. But it's like, why doesn't somebody ask me to get back into it? Because mm-hmm. I'm so good. <laughs> there you go. I understand. Yeah. So I, I was a little bit bitter, actually. And then, and then she said, you know, I just love to sing. I sing for the fun of it. And then I thought, man, that's what I need. I need to do this for the fun of it. And if it the pure joy of creating that artwork is worth everything to me. Yeah. So that's when it started. And it's, it's just kind of like everything I do, I just can't stop staring at it until I do the next one. And I, I, I can't believe I created that. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just a lot of fun. And, and people, you know, the, and the other thing is, I mean, people like it, which is really cool. But, but I guess even if they didn't like it, I would, it would still be cool. But the fact that people like it certainly makes it a little bit cooler. Oh, absolutely. How about proudest moments in your career? I would assume you've had many, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? Well, you know, I've had the proudest moment in my career. I've, I've had so many and none of these are by any means profound, profoundly proud. I mean, I mean, or profoundly awesome. But you can't help but feel proud when, you know, you sell your first print. Yes. Or you get, you know, you sell your first original. Or, or you have a goal, like, you know, one of my goals was uh, to be, have my artwork on the cover of Racer Magazine, which is, you know, which is my favorite magazine. And in May, my artwork of uh, Jimmy Clark is going to be on the cover. All right the magazine so that's a pretty proud moment but yeah oh that's awesome i can't wait to see that it'll be on sale at your new stand soon all right we'll all look out for that (laughs) absolutely let's have a little bit of fun here what was your first really special car and perhaps you could share a memory you had with that vehicle you know what i had two really special cars and neither one of them are really well, neither one of them were really my car, but, but my grandmother Gladys had a 1965 Star Chief Pontiac. I don't know if you know what that is, but oh, it's, yeah. it's kind of like a big old Catalina. Type. Oh, yeah. Big car. <laughs> big old, big old Pontiac. She was um, a, a farmer, and her and her husband, and they lived out, out on the farm. And the great thing is when you live on the farm, you know, there's lots of open road. And, uh, and not much traffic. So when we were kids, I mean young kids, like eight, maybe seven, eight years old, she would, God bless her, would let us squeeze in next to the door. She would sit beside us, and then she would work the foot pedals of the car and let us steer <laughs> this behemoth down the gravel road from, from her house to what we called uh, the Muncie Blacktop. Now, what the Muncie Blacktop was, and this is weird, man, was, was a single strip of concrete and had had it had gravel on both sides of it, so you would get up on the up on the concrete, and you would run right down the center of the road. And then, as as another car came towards you, you would have to put your two right wheels in the gravel, leaving your two left wheels on the concrete. Hmm. And the other person would do the same thing, and, you, and you'd pass each other, and then you would oh, gosh back up on the middle of the road. And could, could you imagine that? <laughs> Here she is letting her her uh, eight year old grandson steer the car, and she was just sitting there just. Going 55 miles an hour, oh, you can do it, you got it. And it, so that was really fun, a way to learn how to drive, and, and we had a blast. Yeah. And, and then my other special car was, a, actually this is kind of related to that as well, we had a go-kart, and, and, and not a fancy go-kart like they have today, but this was an old tube frame go-kart uh, with a Briggs & Stratton five-horsepower motor strapped to the right rear. Mm-hmm. And on the farm, they had uh, rather elaborate driveways because you had to get farm equipment in and out of, you know, huge garages and, and barns and things. But there was an oval, basically, 
that we would, my brother and I, Dave, would just pummel around this track, lap after lap after lap with stopwatches, you know, timing each other and, uh, you know, going for, you know, the, tr- the, the new track record. <laughs> and, and those were my two most special cars. Yeah, fantastic. How about uh, seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've owned that you let go that you really wish you had back in the garage? You know, they're, well, it's, it's not a car, though. Again, it's a motorcycle. I had a motorcycle once that, that I've not really owned very many cool cars. I've, 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 I've had a, I mean, the coolest car I owned was not cool. <laughs> <laughs> the, was now, a, there's a quote. The coolest <laughs> car I ever owned was not cool. It was not cool. It was a Porsche 924. And, uh, but it was, it was, you know, those were reasonably priced cars. And you still had that Porsche badge on the front. And uh, I didn't know really how uncool it was until later. But I loved that car. And, and, and I wish I still had it because I thought it was, it was a lot of fun to drive around. But it, by, by no means was it a, a, you know, a classic or, a, or anything to write home about. But um, we had a dirt bike uh, as kids. And we, you know, loved racing motocross and, and things like that. And, and it would be kind of fun to have that motorcycle back. Yeah, I'll bet. You know, the Porsche 924, Porsche's kind of first venture into water-cooled cars, when I was in high school, 1976 graduating, a friend of mine let me drive his brand-new 924 to my high school senior prom. There you go. And I got to pick up my date in that car and drive over the uh, Coronado Bridge in San Diego, and our prom was at the Hotel Dell, and I thought I was the cat's meow driving that thing. <laughs> that was pretty cool. It was uh, very nice of him to trust a high school student to drive his brand new Porsche. I took good care of it and I detailed it the next day for him and returned it in a better shape than I got it, but it was quite fun. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? You know, there are a couple of fun things. Uh, I'm working on a couple of things for uh, 500 for Pippa Man and uh, the Komen uh, breast cancer uh, people. Mm -hmm. That's going to be neat. And there's not much really to say about that yet, but that'll be something that everybody can participate in and, and, and should be real fun. And the other thing that we've got going is we're doing some um, some artwork for the uh, the Tudor race up at uh, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park up in, up in Canada. And we're going to be doing posters and tickets and program covers and stuff for that. So that'll be, that'll be a blast. And then of course, just the day-to-day stuff. I just, I'm I'm down in Sebring visiting my parents this week and I spent some time over at this great old hotel. I'm actually staying over there uh, called the Inn on the Lakes. And the neat thing about that hotel is it's got every, you know, it's very Sebring race, 12 hours of Sebring race oriented. They have photos of every, of every race winner on the wall. One caught my eye because it was autographed. It was autographed by Mario Andretti. And it was the 1970 race where he and Jackie Ix won in this, this beautiful Ferrari. So I think that's going to be my next, my next piece that I do. It's because it's a, it's a stunning, stunning car. So I'm excited about that. And I'll probably start working on that uh, this evening. Very cool. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Doug. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? That's a very Barbara Walters question. Oh, gosh. Are you calling me Barbara Walters? I think I'm going to end this conversation right now. (laughs) I'll tell you something about this question. This question came from a fellow artist, Harold Cleworth, who is a very well-known automotive artist. Very early in my days with Cars Yeah here, I had a different question at this point in the interview. And he said, I would rather ask, have you asked me this question? 
And he posed that question to me. And I said, okay, Harold, well, what kind of car would you be? And his answer, you'll have to go back and listen to his show because his answer was probably one of the most unique ones I've ever heard. But what I like about the question is, when I say it's introspective, it requires the answer to be somewhat honest in the sense of not the kind of car you wish you were, but how you perceive yourself in all honesty. So there you go. But you can blame a fellow artist on this one. I will definitely blame And not Barbara Walters. <laughs> well, I tell you, it would, it would be an older car. I tell you, the car that I see myself as is like a 1965 or 66 Chevelle SS. Oh, and why is that? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's got some age on it, but it was a classic, classic body style. It's not sleek and it's not fancy, but it, uh, it got the job done. <laughs> there you go. See? All right. I knew you'd come up with something kind of cool. So, Doug, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a little word from a Cars Yeah sponsor. Carpe Viem. Seize the road. It's the motto at CarpeGear.com, where you'll find The Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an international award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kids' book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves the Little Red Racing Car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at CarpeGear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's CarpeGear.com, C-A-R-P-E, Gear.com. Okay, Doug, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And you've been around a lot of races and you know that when the white flag comes out, it's time to put your pedal to the metal. This is where I fire off a series of questions and I'm going to ask you to give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? You got it. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? It's got to be keep the rubber side down. (laughs) Yes, that works really well. Especially when you're in the car with your grandma driving off into that ditch at about 50 miles an hour with your seatbelt off. So could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Well, you know, a lot of people answer this question with hard work. And I think that's probably the right answer. But when you do what I do, and I think anybody that you've interviewed could never say hard work is the reason because we don't work hard. We It's not work. I mean, we... We're busy, and we, but we love what we do so much. It's just find your – and I hate this too. Stop stop me. But it's like people say find your passion. I, I'm not a big fan of that phrase. It's like find your curiosity. What are you curious about? Mm-hmm. And if you can find that curiosity, it might not be the first thing that you come across. But if you're curious about something, trying to solve that problem will take a lot of hours, but it is a ton of fun, and it is the farthest thing from work. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with the Cars Yow listeners that you think they would really enjoy? Well, I, I really enjoy uh, a couple of websites, Sports Car 365. Yep. Um, I love uh, racermagazine.com, uh, and I'm sure there's some I'm not thinking of. But <laughs> but those two, oh, well, Petrolicious, I think is a great, uh, uh, petrolicious.com is a neat website. 
But that's all I can think of at the moment. No, those are great. We've had the uh, founders of 365 and Petrolicious here on Cars, yeah, both two great guys that, again, chased their passion, chased their curiosity, as you say, and created business around them. So I think that's fast, fantastic. I need to get the uh, editor of, uh, of the magazine you mentioned there on the show. I think that would be fantastic. Doug, would you share a book with our listeners that you think they would really enjoy reading? I tell you, I don't know anybody who would not love They Call Me Mr. 500 by Andy Granatelli. Oh, you know, that's the first time that book's been recommended. And <laughs> it is a great book. I love that. Andy Granatelli, his story is is amazing. So uh, great. A new book here on Cars. Yeah, I love that. Listeners, you can find links to all these great resources that Doug has shared with us at carsyacom slash Doug Garrison. And Doug's last name is spelled G-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. All right, Doug, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for car fanatics like you and me. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost because today I'm footing the bill, what would that one vehicle be and why? I think it would be... One of two. It would have to be um, either the 1967 Lotus Turbine that Pornelli Jones drove. Oh, a race car. A race car, yeah. And the other one would, would have to be one of the Elf Terrell cars that Jackie Stewart drove in the in the early 70s. Just that I just loved the livery on that Elf uh, Terrell, coupled with the you know the beautiful blue. Oh yeah, my favorite race car. That and the uh, the 67 Turbine. Well. I do this with everybody. You can only have one. I can't afford oh. two. So <laughs> if you got to narrow it down and pick one of those two cars, which one would it be today? We'd have to go with the Turbine. The Turbine? Okay, cool. Very cool choice. Well, listen, Doug, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you take off around the Indianapolis racetrack in that Turbine race car? <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. What I would say is uh, life is short and try to find a curiosity that, that you absolutely cannot ignore and uh, and follow with everything you've got. Great advice. I love turning the word passion because that is used a lot here and I understand it, but into curiosity because they say curiosity killed the cat, but really curiosity is what can open up our lives so much. So I love that parting, parting advice you've shared with us. Listeners, you can find everything that Doug shared with us again at carsyad.com. Just put Doug in the search box. His show notes page will pop up with links to all the references here. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and see your artwork and purchase some of your artwork? Uh, they can find me at DougGarrison.com. Very easy. Great. Awesome. Well, Doug, thanks again for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. It's been great fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the racetrack. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!